Do you have a message that the world needs to hear? Do you want to make a living making a difference in the world? If so, this is the place for you. Welcome to the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches Podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches Network. I'm here with a man who needs no introduction, Mr. Jack Canfield. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. How are you today? I'm great, Jake. Thank you. Um, I had such a great time watching you in action yesterday. I, I think this would be really interesting. That This is for mostly beginning people who are, are just starting in their careers as speakers, authors, and coaches. You've been doing this for how many years have you been doing this? Let's see, I'll be 75 in a month, and I started this when I was probably 22 or 3. That's so amazing. That, 50 years? I'm not good at math, so we'll, we'll say 50 years. 50 years, yeah. 50 <laughs> so years. in those 50 years, you're still doing it, and you, you still have, it seems like you still have the same passion for it. How, what is it about it that has kept you passionate about it and made it so you want to stick with it? I like making a difference. I love watching people's eyes light up. I love people, like yesterday we had a seminar here, Monday seminar, and we had like 430 people in the room, and I think maybe 150 to 200 lined up at the end to say thank you, get a picture, get an autograph. And I, I sit there going, God, I impacted these lives. They tell me, you know, I read your books when I was a teenager, and you know, you, you got me through my divorce, and I, was, I would have committed suicide because of you. And, and, and then I just love to teach. I mean, I started by teaching high school and then teaching teachers. And then I, someone I, they said, you should go work in my, my husband's company. You should, they need your training. And I said, I never worked in a company. And they said, well, they're just big kids in suits. You were taught high school. <laughs> so, so I went over and, and worked with them. And of course it all worked because the principles and the techniques always work. And, um, I don't know, like, you know, some people love to play tennis, some people love to play the guitar, I love to teach. Mm -hmm. And so, my happiest moments are when I'm learning something, or when I'm teaching something I just learned. Mm. That's so great. I love what you said there about the, um, they're just big kids in suits. Right. Um, I heard you say something like that, I don't know, 10 years ago, uh -huh. and I had this idea and this vision of, of being someone like you, and I wanted to start out in, in this business. And at the time, I was very young, and I felt like I don't know if I can really go out and teach adults yet because I didn't. I well, I was barely an adult at the right. time, and so I heard you say that, and I guess it was a little bit backwards. I went, okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with youth. I'm going to start with youth, and and uh, you know that led to hundreds, probably 400 uh, high school and middle school speaking engagements that I've done all over the country. Right. And then now, as I'm working with adults, I can confirm that all the adults are just. 14-year-olds in adult bodies. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could go back to that 22, 23-year-old version of yourself right. and you could say something to yourself, what's the advice that you would give to yourself? I would say totally believe in yourself. Uh, what you have is needed and necessary. I would say write sooner because once I wrote a book, wrote a book called 100 Ways to Enhance Self-Concept in the Classroom, that's when my career took off. Uh, eventually 400,000 copies of that book were sold and then people would go we want the guy that wrote this book to come to our school and, and give a seminar on how to build self-esteem and 
And then the same thing with Chicken Soup. I could have probably written that book five years earlier, ten years earlier, and that changed my life forever. I mean, we sold 10 million copies of that first book, and then over half a half a billion, 500 million copies have been sold worldwide of different books in the Chicken Soup series. Um, when I was around, there was no social media, so I can't say talk about that. I mean, you guys, and now me too, have so much of an advantage because of social media. I mean, here we are, you know, doing a podcast, and who else could have done that when I was younger? You had to get on a TV show or radio show, or that was it. Yeah, and just and, these cameras here would have been, to have this setup that we have here would have been $100,000. I was on a show in Poland where we had three iPhones on little tiny tripods, uh -huh. two shot, one shot, one uh -huh. shot. And this was a, going on national broadcast television. <laughs> <laughs> had a couple of lights like you do, and that was it. And this guy was one of the most popular TV shows called uh, 10 Square Meters, because in communist Poland, everyone got a 10 square meter apartment, which is not very big, wow. about as big as this little conference room we're in. Wow. And uh, we were just sitting at a table. and and. So we're today, I mean, you can literally sit there with your cell phone and hold it out and, and record a message to somebody, do a Facebook Live, which I recommend everybody do as often as possible, uh, and just keep your name out there. And um, I have a student named Mikola Latansky who comes from uh, Ukraine and Russia, uh, well, what used to be the Soviet Union. And he does a handheld, maybe three-minute podcast every day. He mm -hmm. says... And he goes something like, hi, today I'm here in the Eiffel, in, in Paris, you can see the Eiffel Tower behind me. He'll tell a little story about the Eiffel Tower that represents some principle of going big or whatever. And then he'll say, and by the way, I'll be in, um, you know, this Russian city, Kiev, let's say, or in, in, in Ukraine on Wednesday. And if you're there or you know any friends, let them know, come to my seminar. Well, when he started doing that, he was getting like 60 people at his seminars. After about seven, eight months of that, 600 people. Yeah. So... Stay, keep, keep your tribe engaged, as it were. And the more you can interact with them and respond to them and uh, share what they're interested in, share your own life, because by the time you get to be myself with the somebody I have, people are curious. I mean, it's ridiculous. What does he eat for breakfast? You know, where does he vacation? What's mm -hmm. his wife look like? You mm -hmm. know? Um, but, but, you know, engage with people. So talking about that, about engaging with your tribe, I... I know many people inside of um, this community that you've built, and people follow you at, I mean, I, I'm sure you know this, but there are people who, who see you in the, in the same way they might see a religious leader, you know, someone, someone that they look up to so much and base every day of their life around, right. around your success principles. Right. Why, what have you done, how have you cultivated that? Why do you think that people have connected with the teachings that you have so much? I think there's several things. One, the teachings work. In other words, people want what works. And they want it in a digestible fashion. Um, you know, I'm, I went to Harvard. I'm not stupid. And so <laughs> I have the ability to present ideas well, but I don't go academic on it. You know, I give enough research so the lawyers and the accountants and the engineers could go, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I've lived these principles and I've tested them in my own life and I've tested them with you know, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of students all around the world. So I know they work. And I'm a really good storyteller and mm -hmm. people learn from stories. Stories Velcro to your head, you know. 
I can teach a principle, but if it's embedded in a story, the story, I mean, we are storytelling teachers. We sit around fires and tell stories, been mm -hmm. on front porches and tell stories. All of a sudden, TV came along, and we're now watching other people's stories. We're not telling our own the same way. But the reality is we are hungry for story. And so being a good storyteller and having published over, what would it be, 200 books, 100, you know, 20,000 stories, I've got stories that communicate. And I think the third thing is I genuinely care about people. I'm very passionate and compassionate, empathic and loving, and I want to make a difference. And I think people get that. You know, I, I never got into it for the money. Uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul, I didn't go, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars with the book. It was all about wanting to change the world one story at a time, one person at a time. And I think people get that with me, that I'm the real deal. I don't run off stage when I'm done and hide in the limousine. I, I, I hang out until the last person leaves the room. Yeah. I was once thinking I was writing an autobiography called Last to Leave. Because mm. you know, even if I go to a party with my wife, you know, we're just the last couple to leave. And I genuinely love people. Mm. So I've, I have looked up to you for years, long before we ever had any connection. And first time I read Success Principles was way back in college and got the audio book of it and just loved it. Um, but I, what went from loving your content and loving your teaching style to loving you as a person mm -hmm. was, when, was at Breakthrough to Success when I saw you on the dance floor. <laughs> a lot of people told me this <laughs> I saw you dancing there and I was like this is so cool this is awesome I, I mean here we are in a room with uh, I, I believe Chicken Soup for the Soul is uh, the, the most the, it's the most successful non-fiction book series of all time I think it might be yeah. I, I think it is number one because I looked at the list of series uh -huh. we're preparing for this and there's a, a few, and, and there's only a few, a few of any book series that are above yeah, it, like Harry Potter. And they were all yeah. books like that. They yeah. were they're all huge um, fiction books that have been made into multi-billion-dollar industries and have theme parks about them and right. things. And uh, so here's this guy, and you're so real, and you're just dancing, you know, having a good time on the dance floor. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> we just uh, put on a, a cruise. Uh, we weren't the whole ship, but about uh -huh. 150 people. And um, the, the ship was amazing. There was dance clubs and comedy clubs and jazz bars and all stuff. And I think I was usually the last person to go to bed, you know, <laughs> two in the morning, <laughs> you know, three in the morning. So, okay, that, that brings up another question. You're 75 years old, and yeah. I want to have the energy you have. I want to have the energy you have now at 33 years old. Right. And uh, here you are doing that. How, how do you keep that energy? I think three things. Number one, I've done a lot of personal work on myself. And when you don't have a lot of internal blocks, fears, limiting beliefs, then energy flows. There's no resistance and you don't tire out as quickly. I meditate regularly. I think that's important. I get enough sleep. I eat healthy, you know, like mostly organic food. I don't try to not overeat. Uh, I do drink alcohol like wine. I do my best not to overdo that, you know, maybe one or two nights a week. And um, I don't know. My wife calls me the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> you know, the, the thing mm -hmm. that never stopped ticking, you know, with those ever-ready batteries. I, I just, um, I think I'm so excited about life. I just want to get up and live it and experience the joy of it. I would say I live in joy. That's, that's probably, that's pro and I don't resist reality. A lot of people, a lot of people resist the way things are. You know, President Trump shouldn't have said that. 
this people shouldn't have done that. You know, the cops shouldn't have done that. And, and, and all those things we can have judgments about, and they're probably correct in some way, but the reality is they just happened. They're, they're, they're gone. Even a minute ago, it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if I sit there and spend my time resenting that, being angry about it, being ticked off about it, um, being scared about it, that eats up my energy. And so it's like if you and I stood up and we started pushing on each other as hard as we could, we would get tired much faster than just sitting here. Yeah. And so if you're resisting reality, you're resisting your own emotions, you're resisting the way your parents parented you, whatever, what happens is you're going to get tired faster. Yeah. And so basically, I had a, a woman named, a friend named Barbara Marks Hubbard, just died recently in her 80s. And she, somewhere in her 70s, got really, really, really ill. And she thought, everyone thought she was going to die. And so a friend said, you go see the shaman in Hawaii. So she went. And what he did was he got her on a, like a massage table and had her lie down and said, I want you to think of anyone you resented or got mad at the last week. Now forgive them. Mm. And he took her back week by week, month by month, year by year, all the way to her childhood. It was like three or four or five hours. I forget exactly. But it'd been a long time. And, and then the next day, whatever she had was gone. And so when we resist, when we judge, we, we're, we're literally aging ourselves. Yeah. That makes so much sense. When someone has one of those, one of those blocks, one of those limiting beliefs, one of those resistance, mm-hmm. you know, earlier you, you mentioned doing Facebook Lives, and I know with, with my coaching, one of the biggest things that's holding people back is not knowing what to do, it's actually doing it. Exactly. And they don't do it because they're afraid. That's it. It's because, well, I don't, want, I, don't want, I don't want to push that red button because I'm afraid of what this person's going to think. I have these internal limiting beliefs from child. I mean, they don't say that, but that's what's yeah. really going on when we yeah, get into it. I got shamed in the classroom. Or yeah. Things. How does, in, in, from your experience, how does someone break through that fear? How do they break through that fear? Because I believe that that is where you're talking about starting your business. Uh, but in my mind, it's not the what. It's the getting through those things so that they can actually do the how. Right. Well, self-confidence is the result of surviving a risk. Mm. So if I'm afraid to ask a girl out for a date when I'm in high school, and I finally do it, and she says yes, wow, I survived that risk. Or even if she says no, I didn't die, I'm still here. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is the more risks you take and the more you survive them, the more confidence you have. You know, the first time you play the guitar in front of your friends, and they didn't laugh, you know, uh, you go, oh, that's kind of cool. I, I, I sometimes do chanting in my seminars where we'll chant a phrase over and over, yeah. Alleluia or something like mm-hmm. that, with our eyes closed. And it literally, it's why people do hy- hymns in church and, you know, in the East they chant in temples and so forth, the Gregorian chants of the Catholic monks. Because when you chant in a group, it brings the vibration of everyone together. It's like what, standing around singing, you know, my Bonnie lies over the ocean, which is, you know, that kind of, but we're all in harmony at that moment. The vibration is similar. And I remember the first time I had the courage to take my guitar out and do that, you know, have everyone think, oh, he's some weird hippie freak or something, you know, and they loved it. And I was like, oh, because I could have done that years earlier, but I didn't because I was afraid. I was in my 20s probably. And... So there's three ways to get through fear, in my opinion. Number one, just do the thing you're afraid of. You know, it's Tony Robbins' firewalk. You think you can't do it, you walk across the coals, you didn't burn your feet, you go, oh, my God. You know, what else have I been telling myself I can't do? If you're afraid to skydive, go skydive. You know, do the thing you're afraid of. Uh, And then you survive it, and you're okay. 
You know, sometimes you just someone pushes you in the pool and you have to swim and you survive. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is all fear, except for loud explosions and falling backwards, which baby even mm -hmm. would be afraid before any languaging, is self-created by imagining something bad happening in the future. So even if a snake crawled in this room and it was a rattlesnake and it was rattling over there, if we're scared, we have to be imagining it's going to bite us. Mm -hmm. It hasn't bitten us yet. Mm. Everything's fine. It just happens to be a rattlesnake in the room. And so we always have to go into the future. So you're in the future going, oh, my God, if I hit that red button, I'm going to blow it. That person's going to go on social media and say negative things about me. That's you making that up. So you can use that same principle to think the thought and visualize the vision of everything going well, getting, you know, 429 likes or 5,000 likes or whatever, however big your, your community is. And, and then, you know, going home and getting a pat on the back and receiving 20 emails that night. It's the same process. You're thinking and visualizing, but we're visualizing against ourselves when we're scaring ourselves. We're visualizing for ourselves when we stop that and replace it. And there is this thing called the law of replacement. It's very difficult to get rid of a negative thought if you don't replace it with a positive thought. So that's, and then finally, I think the coolest thing that's come along in ages is this thing called tapping. Emotional mm -hmm. freedom technique, where you tap on these nine acupuncture yeah. points, and literally, it was evolved from something called the five-minute phobia cure, where the man was able to eliminate any phobia, 99.4 percent effective, in anybody in five minutes or less. Mm. Um, and Roger Callahan, and then Gary Craig came along and basically simplified it for the masses. And I'll sit in, I'll be in airports now, and people are, you know, about to get on the plane and they're going like this. You yeah, know? but. It, all you have to do is think of the thing you're afraid of, do the tapping technique, which you can learn on YouTube. Yep. You, you know, I have a book on it as well called Tapping into Ultimate Success. And fear disappears. It just goes. And it's like magical. And so if it's five minutes between the red button and me pushing it, that's silly not to take advantage of that technology. Yeah. I, I love that response there. That was just so great. Um, now... I think that we know a lot about the beginning of your career. Yes. We also know a lot about chicken soup on. Uh, what happened in between? I don't think we know that much about that time. Well, my career started as a high school teacher in Chicago. And I then became, I went and worked for a job corps center, which is a place for kids who dropped out of high school. But they were all like lower income level kids, you know, Puerto Ricans, African Americans, Rosebud Sioux. Uh, this was in Iowa. And then I um, went back to graduate school to get a doctorate. I got a master's, not a master's, but I never did get the doctorate. I, I started getting so many invitations to speak after I wrote my book on self-esteem that I just went, oh, I don't need no credential, I'm good. <laughs> so I dropped out. Um, you know, a lot of great dropouts. Bill Gates dropped out of school, so yep. I feel good about it. But anyway, um, so then what I did is I worked for a foundation called the W. Clement and Jesse B. Stone Foundation for probably two or three years teaching uh, what he called the success, what he called the achievement motivation system. How do you motivate people to achieve more? I did that. I did some more postgraduate work. And then I started... Uh, while I was in graduate school, I met my first wife, and she was a Gestalt therapist. Gestalt is a kind of therapy. Uh, she was a licensed psychotherapist. And she taught me to do what she did. I just, I'm of quick study, so I learned how to be a therapist. And at that time, there were no licensing laws in, in Massachusetts. Mm. So I was doing therapy one-on-one -on -one like this for, I don't know, five years maybe. Mm -hmm. And then on the weekends, I was running small workshops, maybe 15 or 20 people. 
Uh, and then I was, uh, I started doing workshops for school teachers. I said, people need to learn this before they're 30 years old and mm -hmm. paying, you know, 50 bucks an hour. Now it's like 250 bucks an hour for therapy. And so how do we get this into the school? So I worked on another book for educators. I then started training educators, uh, coming to my center. And then I took a large group workshop. Today there's things like uh, Landmark, mm -hmm. and back then it was LifeSpring, Landmark, Insight, um, things like that. And I took one of those and I went, oh man, there's 400 people in this room and they're all engaged. That's a lot more fun than one person or 15 in a small circle in my living room. So I literally um, joined another company called, uh, what was it called, Insight Training Seminars. Mm -hmm. And I, was, I worked for them for a number of years. I would do, I'd go on the road sometimes for 17 <clears throat> weeks. I'd have to fly my wife out to meet me in Philadelphia in the middle just so we could <laughs> make love and stay connected, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and then I found out that the guy that was running this whole thing was kind of a cult leader. This was a kind of a leading people into uh. a cult. So I quit. Started my own company called Self-Esteem Seminars. All I had was I, I managed to convince my mother-in-law to lend me $10,000. Hmm. And that was pretty much all she had. So I treated it very carefully because I wanted to pay her back. And I had a hollow core door, two file cabinets, electric typewriter, and that was the beginning of my company. And wow. I, I would you know, type up brochures, take them down to the local printer. He'd typeset it and print them. I'd go around putting them in corporate doorways, you know, and I'd do radio shows and interviews and run these little guest events, you know, where 20 people would come to convince them to take my weekend workshop. And after about three years, I had offices in five cities. Of not, I say offices, people working out of their bedroom, but they were yeah, yeah, yeah. filling seminars in five yeah, cities. Yeah, 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 and, um, and then somewhere along the line, somebody said, those stories you keep telling, you ought to put those in a book. And I thought, well, how many stories do I really know that are inspirational? I yeah. use my talks. And I, there was 70 stories. I'm flying back from Boston to L.A. And I wrote them down. You know, the Bobsy story, the Girl Scout story, the, you know, the kid that walks into the store to buy the puppy story, whatever. And I thought, well, that's enough for a book. So I made a commitment to do two stories a week. You know, I'd write it edit it the next day, maybe play with it some more, it's after three days, and then start another story. And um, by the end of the year, I had a book. And that's, that's the in-between. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So when you were there, self-esteem seminars, you in a room with a typewriter sending things yeah. out, tell me about your first seminar that you ever put on in that situation. Well, there's a guy named John Gray who wrote Men Are From Mars, and he and his wife at the time had a, a center. Uh, they had bought an old warehouse and, and turned it into a, a retreat center. Basically, just carpeted the floor, put in some sound. Mm -hmm. And I asked them if they would give me a deal on a room, you know, a weekend when they weren't doing it because I need to get started. They said sure. And um, and then I, I literally sent out brochures to everyone I knew, kind of twisted all my friends' arms. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I've done that. Hey, think, please just come and pretend that you're a yeah, real exactly <laughs> a real I, person. I think I only had maybe. 50 or 60 people, uh -huh. but it worked. Yeah. It was really great. You know, I made one mistake. I did one exercise on the last afternoon that should have been done the day before because it kind of opened people up a little too emotionally and then it was over. It was kind of like sending people off the operating table without having sutured everything up. Mm -hmm. And uh, But we changed that the next time. 
And then I just started doing it, and then the word got out that the exercise was good, and then people started saying, well, you know, come to my town and do it. And so that's how it evolved. But it's just, you know, everything is one person at a time. You add one name to your mailing list. You know, in my time, we used to go out and give a talk and then say, if you'll put your business card in this fishbowl, I'll draw one out and give you a free training or a free book, and maybe you'd get, you know, you had 100 people to talk you did, like for a company, and you had 60 business cards go home and type those into the computer system and that's how you know the whole thing developed mm, that's amazing yeah. and what I'm hearing is it's just tried and true it's consistency of putting in the work over and over and over again yeah. why do you think so many people struggle with being consistent they'll put on one event and they'll be excited about it they'll do all this work and then then they just stop and don't do anything and then wonder why it's not going how can someone uh, be more consistent? I think sometimes they realize how hard it is <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, I, I would say the hardest thing is putting butts in seats. You yep. know? It's just challenging. People have so many options of what to do with their time. I mean, when I started out, there were maybe, you know, 25 television stations at the most, yeah. you know, cable, whatever. Now there's a thousand. You got a thousand things on your, your cable. I think uh, also there's so much information available on the Internet now. I mean, I was talking to a woman yesterday who said, I started out doing seminars. And now I want to live the laptop lifestyle, mm -hmm. meaning everything's from my yep. laptop, what we're doing here kind of thing. Yep. And I do think that more and more of this work is going toward the thing we're doing, podcasts, yep. doing webinars, um, you know, summits, all those kind of things that people are doing online. Because people can record them, people can watch them later uh, at their own time. Maybe I've got a job at night and I want to watch it late in the morning before I go to bed, you know, if I've been up all night. so. I think it's moving in that direction. We started, we, we now have a bunch of online programs that people yeah. can access at any time of the day. And we didn't do it because we saw the trend coming. We did it because there was a need, because we were in the Middle East. And everyone said, we can't get visas to come to America because of you know the Donald, and we can't uh, afford the plane fares. And so can you come to the Middle East and teach this stuff? And you know, I don't want to be over there You know, every month. It's just too much so far to fly, so I said, let's create an online train-the-trainer mm -hmm. program. Let's create an online breakthrough success program. And they have been the core of our business. And, um, and Wow. Yeah, no, the first year we did our online train-the-trainer program, we sold over a million dollars worth of trading uh -huh. online. And, and you know, once you develop it, we put about 300,000 into developing, I think over a couple of years. You put a very high-quality product. Yeah, not everyone has to do that, by the way. There, yeah. There's a lot of you can buy all these webinars that teach you how to do it a lot cheaper. But we wanted to be world-class, and we did it. But the point being, over the next several years, we were making over a million dollars a year off that one product because yeah. once you have it in a computer, and you just have a little computer maintenance you know, on the server, uh, there's, no, there's really no cost. You yeah. know? And so you know, we have some costs because we send out certificates of graduation. We have customer service issues. We coach people yeah. you know, on monthly calls and so forth. But it's revolutionizing the business. And I think more and more people are getting into this business because they want to make a difference. More and more coaches are coaching. People are retiring from their careers and becoming life coaches, which is great because the rubber meets the road in this kind of one-on-one -on -one working people through their resistance and blocks. So, but to go back to your real question, which is why do they give up? I, I think most people, if it's not easy quickly, is they stop. 
Yeah. And I, I tell people that, you know, it, it takes time to build a huge business. I mean, I'm where I am because I'm 74, just about to be 75, and I have been doing five things a day for my company uh, toward my goal, which I teach the rule of five, you know, for close to 50 years. And so that is what gets you where you want to go. You know, you build a, you see the Great Wall of China and you go, oh my God, but that was built one stone at a time. Yeah. You know, uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul books were written one word at a time, one story at a time, one page at a time, one book at a time. The first book came out, we didn't do a second book for two years. Then we did the third book. Then, then we started doing a book a year. Then we started doing two or three or four books a year. And all of a sudden you have 200 books. You don't do that in the first three years of your career. You know, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, and, and how, how many total were there in Chicken Soup for the Soul? Well, we published 203, I think, and now there's another close to 100 <clears throat> books. We sold the brand about, I forget exactly how many years, but close to 15 years That's ago. what I was thinking, it was around 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. What is a, and I hesitate to even call it a failure, uh, because we know that we learn from failures, but right. what was something that seemed like a failure at a time that you learned from, you grew from, you were able to move well, forward? Well, some easy ones where we, <laughs> I, we had these, the model we were working from was you have a guest, you have these little guest events, you know, for an evening, come for, for seven to nine, Yeah. and we're going to teach you some of the things we teach and do a couple of the exercises <clears throat> we do, and hopefully you'll go, wow, this is great, I want more. And uh, once, we had one scheduled once for Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and I think four people showed up, mm -hmm. normally 50 or 1,600, uh -huh. you know? And I went, oh, don't do things two days before a major national holiday. Uh -huh. Everyone's on the road. Uh, I remember our first bulk mail. Bulk mail sucks, you know, because uh -huh. you got to get all these things and separate them by zip code, which we were doing by hand at the time. Oh, we wow. Had, we had labels we put on. Remember Avery yeah. labels? You'd yeah, 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 yeah. That was our mailing list. That's amazing. You know, someone <laughs> would give us a name, we'd type it under the Avery label. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, so when you put something through bulk mail, like, you know, it's just machines doing this, it, ha it has to be folded this way. So the fold, if you do it the opposite way, the open part goes through, and then it, it clogs the machine because mm -hmm. it just all jumbles up. So we printed about 2,000 of those wrong <laughs> <laughs> and had stamps on them. Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> like, so learn not to do that. Um, you know, learn not to do a, a workshop in Utah on family night. I think it's Tuesday night, you know. Monday night. Monday yeah, night. there you go. <laughs> well, you know, Monday night. So so we learned that one. You know, okay. So we scheduled something <laughs> and I said, you can't do that here. It's when all uh -huh. the families get together, uh -huh. you know. Uh, you know, I've had other failures in my life. You know, I have failed marriage. And, uh, you know, it was just, we both came to the conclusion it wasn't working. But uh, then you go through the divorce process, the lawyers, you know, that, that was a big challenge for me. And I had to get over my resentment for the lawyers, my resentment for my ex-wife, I thought, kind of taking me to the cleaners. So there's that kind of thing. And, um, you know, sometimes you say things that offend people. I used to show some cartoons. I show cartoons all through my work to keep people happy and laughing. And I had one of, um, of um, this cavalryman coming back, the whole hillside full of Indians, Native Americans. And so he's coming back, and there's about 100 arrows in his back, and he's just slumped over on his horse, and General Custer is saying, well, wait, let's see what they said. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's funny, but for a lot of Native Americans, it was offensive, you know, yeah. and I didn't realize that. And so, um, you know, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, you can't say that word, 
you know, and, and um, you know, you can't call women girls, and you know, I like anyone else, I had to be educated and and so on and so forth. But I, uh, I think that generally now, I know most of what I need to know about that. Yeah. Well, it, times also change. Words change. What words are appropriate change, yeah, and, yeah. and that that can be that's something I'm very conscious of now that you know there there are great things about about the internet I would not have a career if it wasn't for the internet right. the whole reason I have it have the career but also at the same time you have to be a lot more careful I'm very conscious of things that I say and what because you if say they last forever <clears throat> it, it, it could come know, out at any time yeah they could go back 10 years and go look what he said and you go, wait a second <laughs> I was young and immature then. yeah exactly that's just this how it comes out yeah. and I don't know it's just it's just interesting how uh, yeah times change we need to be careful about those kinds of things now, during any of these challenges, were there, was there ever a time where you were contemplating quitting, where you're contemplating moving on, doing something else? Did that ever happen? No, no. I mean, right now, because of my age, my wife keeps saying, why don't you retire? We have enough money. Mm -hmm. You know, and, I go, and do what? You know, like, this is what's fun for me. You know, mm -hmm. retire and play golf. Like, well, for some people, golf's more fun than what they do for a living, yeah. you know? It's not true for me. <clears throat> um, I mean, there's literally nothing more fun for me than teaching. Uh, mm -hmm. Like we did yesterday all day long and, and just watching the lights go on in people's eyes and uh, Yeah And I could see that you love what you're doing. I can see it on stage But you also mentioned what would we do? I remember last year. I knew that you were on your month-long vacation yeah. and uh, You sent me an email during that time uh, uh, Email personally from you. I was like, oh wow cool. Jack's going through stuff on his vacation and having well, I, I, I do go through my emails. My wife said, you can have a half hour a day to check your emails. <laughs> <laughs> because if I didn't, I'd come back to 4,000 emails. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I have my staff handle some of them, but you know, it's, I love you. So you know, if I cool. see your name in the, the queue, I open it up. Well, thank you. Yeah. That, I, I love you too. And you. I want to say that you have um, you've done more for me than, than you can possibly know. It's the principles that you have shared. It's the principles that you have taught that have drastically changed my life in every aspect. My career, my family, my health, every single aspect of my life has been greatly, greatly improved just because I've applied the principles that you've shared. And I know it's easy for you to say, well, those are the principles and the principles work and I'm going to stop you from saying that and saying it is you. It is because of it's because of the vehicle behind it. It's because of the person behind it. You share it in a way that, at least for me, has helped it to get through to me. Yeah. It's helped it to get through to me. So thank you, and I, I recognize you and acknowledge you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. Yesterday you talked about something called a happy list. I'd never heard you talk about this. Yeah. Your, your happy list. Um, can you tell us what that is and, and a couple items that are on your happy list? When I, I was in graduate school, there was a professor named Sid Simon. He was a values clarification expert, and he called it the 20 things I love to do list. Make, make a list of 20 things you love to do, and then put it somewhere where you're always going to see it, like on your refrigerator or in the bathroom wall, whatever. So whenever you're depressed or you're not feeling happy, just do one of the things you love to do because you know it's going to make you happy. So I just call it my happy list. But things that are on there for me is playing the guitar, uh, listening to music, I love to do, I have a really good stereo system in the living mm -hmm. room. We just go in there, turn it up, and play music. You know, just lay back on the couch and listen. I love to hike with my wife. I love to go to movies. Uh, here I am. I'm Mr. Le Peace, Love, and Light. 
but my favorite movies are these war movies, you know, like, uh -huh. but I, and I think the reason why is it's a life and death situation. Uh -huh. When people are faced with life and death situations, they come totally present and they have to be there for each other, like band of brothers, that kind of thing. And um, so I, I have a couple of friends, guys, that I go to those movies. My wife hates those movies. Um, so that's one of the things I love to do. Uh -huh. Going to a seminar and being in a seminar and learning yes. something, like I just took a seminar with Bob Proctor not too long ago. That was a wonderful set of days. I actually had dinner with him and lunch with him one day. Um, and I think, you know, getting together, like I started this organization called the Transformational Leadership Council, which are all people who do the kind of work I do, because there wasn't an association of that. And, um, and I think going to those meetings twice a year, I, I love that. That's, I'm so happy to be with people I know, and we're learning from each other, teaching each other. And we always build in some kind of challenge experience, like a river raft trip mm -hmm. or an outward bound kind of challenge course or something. So those are fun. Um, spending time with my six-year-old grandson, that mm -hmm. is like a trip. I don't even, you hear it all the time. You know, grandfathers and grandmothers going, yeah, that's my favorite thing is my grandchildren. But it's true, and the coolest part is when he gets cranky, I just hand him back to my son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's moments where my son, not moments, there's the majority of the time, my son is so much fun. Yeah. Love love everything about yeah, exactly. it. And then every now and then you go, huh, this is work. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell every parent, if you have never had a moment where you want to take your kid and just throw him against the wall and watch him <laughs> slither down, leaving a trail like a snail, you are lying. <laughs> it's true. You, know? you can love your child to death. There's times this one's like, ah. Oh. But not, and I kid about giving them back. I mean, that is one of the things you can do. Yeah. But, you know, when, when, when they come to visit us, you know, we always give them a night out to go to the movie where we're 100% responsible. And you have to deal with the temper tantrums or whatever. He rarely has them. Uh, he's a cute kid. He's half Japanese and half, you know, Caucasian. And he's like a little Japanese rock star. He's like a little Bruce Lee, you know, because mm. he has long black hair, the way the parents cut it. And so that's just joyful for me as well. Take That's him to the awesome. zoo, watch him get all excited about the tiger, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's your favorite music to listen to? I have several kinds of music I like to listen to. Country music, not all of it, but but a lot of it. Mm -hmm. I have some favorite, you know, artists. Um, and I also listen to, not heavy metal rock, but like I like all the rock and roll that came out of the 60s and 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, even some of these boy bands, they, they, they have such great harmonies, you know, yeah. when they sing. Um, and uh, and then there's like the four tenors, you know, the, uh -huh. the, the classical, but done Big in variety. a way that's yeah. more interesting. I recently discovered a guy, probably not going to his, remember his name right now, but he's a, a, a trumpet player. I can't think of his name. I think it starts with a B. But anyway, uh, I, I, I discover an artist and I end up buying six albums off of mm -hmm. you know, iTunes and then I just go nuts with them for a while. I also like some of these tapes that come out like from different people who chant, you know, uh -huh. uh, David Primo and Mitten, people like that. Uh, I can do that. I, I have a, a, what do you call it, a uh, sauna with um, infrared sauna. We sit in there, we have a little stereo system in there, sweat for an hour, yeah. and just kind of close my eyes, listen to music. That's awesome. Yeah. I heard you once say that your dream was to be a folk singer at one time. Well, in high school, I was part of a folk singing group. There were That's awesome. three of us called the New City Travelers. Who were you inspired by at that time? 
I think the usual people, Bob Dylan, John Baez, the uh, Kingston Trio. Uh -huh. Everly Brothers. Everly, well, okay. yeah, and I, I, used, I used to hitchhike a lot back then. Okay. And I would sit there and, and, and sing Everly Brothers songs. That's myself, cool. You know, That's cool. For sure. Yeah, I, I actually saw them perform once. Um, it was uh, Simon and Garfunkel's first reunion tour. This was back in 2004. They hadn't played together since the yeah. concert in New York in the 80s. This is their first reunion tour. And it was actually the first stop on their tours at the Hollywood Bowl. So it was yeah. the first time they'd played together. And uh, the Everly Brothers played with them, too. It was really, it was a great night. Oh, it was so awesome. Cool. That's so cool. I, uh, Paul Simon, when I go to Pandora, yeah. my two major stations I go to all the time are uh, Paul Simon and James Taylor. Oh, well, we have a lot in common. Yeah, Graceland's my favorite album of all time. Oh, I love it. It's so good. I, or at least right now, I'm listening to that album. Just it's on it's on loop right now. It's incredible. I'll tell you something. So I was doing a little speaking tour in Africa, and I was in um, Cameroon, and my brother-in-law happened to be the ambassador of Cameroon at that time, and so my 13-year-old son, who's a really good singer, in fact, he's in music school right now in Boston. A studying voice and he developed this song he wrote called diamonds in the dust which was about how these kids in africa had nothing mm -hmm. and he had everything and how they were still so happy happier than he was and so he wrote this song and then this woman said oh i know this church choir why don't you have him go down and sing with them so he goes down he's about this taller than everyone all these black kids and they started doing like a graceland thing behind mm -hmm. his song mm -hmm. i was like oh my god i thought i was gonna die that's incredible. Yeah, That's yeah. awesome. The, the, the African harmonies are so unique. So good. Yeah. And Paul Simon did all that music that was yeah. like that. Yeah. Anyway, I, I know that uh, you have a flight to catch, so I want to respect your time. I could talk yeah. about Paul Simon all day. And uh, <laughs> But um, as the last question, I just want to know, what, what are your final pieces of advice for the members of the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches Network? Well, you learn to be a better speaker by speaking. So speak anywhere you can to any group you can. Um, I did a lot of free talks in the beginning, and I still do some, and you know, for nonprofits and so forth. But basically, every time you speak, your next speech is going to be better because there's going to be some little piece of feedback you're going to get. You don't even know it. It could be subconscious. If you're writing, definitely write. Uh, if you can't find a publisher, self-publish. Sell the books in the back of the room. Sell them online. Books give you credibility. You know, I have like over 200 and some books that I've written or edited. And that's made me an internationally known person. And I would say, use social media to the max. I really, really think you should do that. If you're running large group seminars, definitely come take my Train the Trainer program. And I say that not because I need to make another dollar, but because I know everyone has done it, thousands of people now around the world. Uh, it's changed the quality of their work and the impact that they have in the world. And it'll build your own success as well so study success and um and i would say you know go to my website jack jackhamfield.com and you know check out all the things we're doing the one thing i would offer you for free is we have a 10 day or 10 week course uh called the success challenge and it's free and you just put your email address in there and then for 10 days we send you a little three to five minute video you watch it on your phone or your computer and there's a little principle we teach you with an action step for that day to Velcro that principle into your life. And um, that's it. When I'll tell you this, Jack, and want to speak directly to everyone watching, everyone listening, 
Um, if you want to take your career, if you want to take your content to the next level, a lot of people say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Uh, go and take the train the trainer program. I, I took this, it was at the very beginning of the train the trainer program when it first came out and it drastically changed my career, my content made a huge boost. And I would say everyone, you know, he's saying, go and get the free thing. Absolutely go and do that. But if you're contemplating doing this, go and come a part of the Train the Trainer program. You won't regret it. It's been something I've absolutely loved. And there's a live version, which you took. Yep. There's also the online program. And in that program are all the slides you'll ever need, all the content scripts word for word. You'll see me actually modeling it and teaching it and dealing with people afterwards who got stuck, whatever. It's, it's a full-service, no-brainer package. And you have access to it for the rest of your life. So a year later, you want to teach E plus R equals O or yep. M plus response equals outcome, you can watch me do that. And I still do that. I still go back into that. Yeah. Well, Jack, it has been an absolute pleasure. I just want to acknowledge you one more time. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful for the work that you do and that you are here and a beautiful soul on this planet. Thank so you. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Jake, truly. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, subscribe, and most importantly, share it with somebody who needs this information. If you're not already a part of our Facebook community, come and join us in the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches network at facebook.com slash groups slash speaker, author, coach, or simply search the Speakers, Authors, and Coaches network. Thanks again for listening. Remember, what you do matters. You can turn your dreams into your reality. Together, we are changing the world one message at a time.